It's time once again for the Go-Giver Podcast, where we explore five timeless principles that will increase the profitability of your business and the joy in your life. Now, here's your host, the co-author of The Go-Giver, Bob Berg. Hello again, I'm Bob Berg, and we have what I hope you'll find to be an interesting and value-packed show today. Have you ever given advice without knowing all the facts? It's easier to do than we might think. We'll look at that in our thought of the day. And in our interview segment, Michael Bungay Stanier with seven questions to help you to become a much more effective leader who coaches. That and more on today's show. I thank you for joining us. A reader asked for my advice regarding a hurtful situation that had come up for her with a friend. While I empathized with her because she obviously felt badly about it, I also had to explain to her that, based only on the information she shared with me, I didn't have nearly enough information to be able to provide her with an intelligent opinion, one based on knowledge. I did ask her some questions which she answered, and while it wasn't for me to make the decision for her regarding what exactly she should do, I hopefully provided her with enough options and additional questions for her to consider in order for her to come up with the best possible conclusion herself. But I can guarantee that in my younger years, I would have answered her initial question directly and most likely incorrectly. I did that a lot, as do many people. Why? Well, as human beings, so often when someone asks for our advice or opinion, we base our response on how we view the world, our own assumptions caused by and based on our own belief systems. So not only are we providing an answer that would serve us based on our values and beliefs, we are also very likely filling in the blanks with additional information not offered, which, according to our paradigm or world model, completes the story as we would understand it. This is very dangerous for that other person. Before we can helpfully respond, we must first ask helpful questions. These with the primary purpose of exposing all assumptions, our assumptions as well as theirs, that will get in the way of the actual truth. In other words, it's easy to fall into the trap of answering questions when we simply don't have enough information to go on, and it should be avoided at all costs. I believe this is so whether one is literally in the coaching profession or simply coaching someone as part of being an associate, a family member, or a friend, or as a leader or manager. Up next is a conversation with a man who has written what I found to be an amazingly helpful book that can help today's leader, today's manager, today's human being become a much better coach when their coaching is sought out. Michael Bungay Stanier coming up right after this. Let me ask you, would you like to become objection-proof? Would you like to close sales gentler, easier, and more effectively than ever before? Would you like to never again have to discount your prices? Would you like to learn the one thing that motivates every human being to action and the only reason why people ultimately buy? Do you want to more effectively than ever before communicate the exceptional value that you provide to your customers and clients? If you answered yes to these questions, then what you want is to learn how to sell the go-giver away. If you'd like to dramatically increase your ability to influence and sell, then check out my one-hour audio program, Selling the Go-Giver Away. For more information, click the link in the show notes. 
Michael Bungay-Stanier is the senior partner and founder of Box of Crayons, a Toronto, Ontario-based company that helps organizations do less good work and more great work. They're best known for their coaching programs, which give busy managers practical tools to coach in 10 minutes or less. Host of the Great Work podcast, he's also author of one of my all-time favorite books, The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. The book recently celebrated its one-year anniversary with 180,000 copies sold. His website is boxofcrayons.biz, that and direct links to his podcast and to the book on amazon.com, all in the show notes. Welcome, Michael. Hey, Bob, it's so good to be here. Thanks for the nice intro. Oh, my pleasure. And before I even ask you any questions, I need to tell everyone that I I heard about your book, The Coaching Habit, because one of our Go-Giver Certified Speakers coaches happened to pick your book up in the bookstore, read it right away, and immediately posted on our team Facebook page how amazing your book is and that we all needed to read it. And so high praise. Well, I love that. And and she's a fantastic leader herself. So very high praise from her. And so and she was right. Now, you and I, uh, Michael, we both belong to a speaker's mastermind Facebook group. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you remember this, but immediately after finishing my first read of your book, I posted a message there saying that I owe an apology to anyone and everyone who's ever come to me asking for (laughs) advice. So your book just totally, totally redefines how it's done. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. Thank you. So before we look at the how-tos, uh, well, let's begin. What, what's your basic premise? Why is your method so important? Why is the ability of a leader or or manager to be able to coach so important? Yeah, look, there's just a whole lot of good evidence that says helping managers and leaders be more coach-like, adding that to their leadership repertoire is a way that helps build stronger teams, get better results, have people have more impact in the work they do and feel more engaged, feel more meaning out of the work they do. So it really is a powerful, but it's an underutilized leadership tool. Now, one of the key things, Bob, I'd say right from the start is I'm not actually trying to turn anybody into a coach. I just want leaders to be more right. coach-like. Right. And it's an important differentiation because a lot of people go, look, I'm really busy. I'm just trying to do the best I can. I don't want to be a coach. But if I could say to you, what if you could actually work less hard, have more impact, have a more engaged team? What if we could do that? Then they get interested. And I think being more coach-like can really drive to that. Mm-hmm. And it's and, and it can be done in less than 10 minutes. You show how to do it. But also, Michael, it's a habit, right? It's not a one and done. Well, that's the thing. I mean, our principles that when we when we teach the coaching is the threefold. The three principles are be lazy, be curious, be often. And, you know, be lazy is a little provocative. It's deliberately (laughs) so because, you know, anybody who's listening to this podcast is not a lazy person. But uh, what we're trying to do is get people to slow down, a rush to jump in and fix things and solve things and do things and offer up advice. Being curious is just to help people realize just how quickly they move to becoming advice-giving maniacs. I mean, somebody starts talking and within 10 seconds you're wired to go, I need to tell you what to do. Mm. And then be often, and this is the point you're making, is to understand that every interaction with somebody can be a bit more coach-like. And and what I mean by more coach-like, just to be really specific about it, is can you slow down the rush to action and advice Mm And can you stay curious just a little bit longer? So you're exactly right. Once you realize that coaching is an everyday action, then you go, I need to build habits to make sure my behavior changes. Exactly. And and so we we talk about the word coaching, and mm. it's a word that's bandied around a, a lot these days. Um, when boiled right down, what, 
What's the essence of coaching, in your opinion? Yeah, well, there's a lot of definitions of coaching. Um, I've tested a lot of them out with people going, which ones seem to resonate? I think there's two, there's two definitions you look at. One is the outcome you're looking to get. One is what the process is. The process is, I think, just as I described it, which is, can you stay curious a little bit longer? Can you rush to action and advice just a little bit more slowly? And it sounds easy. It's harder than it sounds. I think the outcome you want, I mean, John Whitmore has a great definition, which is helping to unlock people's potential, mm. helping them to learn rather than teaching them. I think of it as this. It's like helping to generate new insights. Insights lead to action, into like behavior change, and new behavior change leads to positive impact, which if you imagine this as a circle, then feeds back into unlocking new insights, either about yourself or about the situation. So as a leader or a manager who knows, okay, I, I need to make a change, uh, if they want to become the coach that, you know, that they know they can become, uh, the coach as a, as a leader, um, there is a behavioral change called, but how is this, how is this approach? How does someone say, uh, okay, uh, I mean, I, I need to change. What's the first thing they sort of need to decide? Yeah, well, I think... You, you, you've nailed the first thing, which is actually a decision that, you know what, the way I'm doing things right now may not be working mm. as well. And here's a test to know if this is what, if how you're working right now is working for you, which is, do you have perhaps an over-dependent team, a team that seems to come to you for answers more often than they should? And the more you give them the answers, the more you get the answer. They come to you, and the more they come to you, the more you give them. And before you know it, you've actually built a team that's lacking in confidence and autonomy. Or maybe you're just in a place of overwhelm. You know, I've just got too much stuff, and the more I lose my focus, the more stuff I get, and the more stuff I get, the more I lose my focus. Or maybe you've just lost a sense of connection to the work that really matters. And the more you get disconnected from that, the more you kind of resign yourself to just being overwhelmed. And the more that happens, the more you get disconnected. So if any of those three vicious circles, an over-dependent team, overwhelmed, disconnected, ring true for you, then it might be worth you thinking about what do I need to do differently to shift my behavior? And Bob, honestly, the starting point is to understand habits, understand behavior change, because it's not enough to kind of grit your teeth and clench your buttocks and say, I'm just going to be more coach-like. That never works. You've got to understand the basic science of habit change. And that's why the first chapter of the book actually says, let's talk about that first mm -hmm. before we share the seven essential questions. Now, let's look at these questions because these are beautiful questions. They will help any leader, any manager become a better coach. So let's look at them, if we may. And in the sure. book, Michael, you just do a wonderful job of explaining. That. And if I, by the way, if I sound like I'm gushing, it's because I am. I mean, I just, <laughs> I, I truly, totally just love this book. Hey, um, look, I'm encouraging you to gush. Don't worry, I have a fragile male ego, so it's all good for me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you, you talk about the wise hows and so forth. But can we do a quick? Uh, Reader's Digest yeah. of these seven questions. We'll also, of course, put them in the show notes. And of course, Perfect. there's lots more to it within each thing. That, but but we're just going to do it do it very brief. Number one is is the kickstart question. Yeah, and so the insight behind this is if you think coaching matters and being more coach-like could be useful for you as a leader, you've got to get into that conversation more quickly. Our belief is if you can't coach in 10 minutes or less, you don't have time for coaching. So you don't have time for a meandering conversation. You've got to get into it fast. And the question we recommend for that is the kickstart question, which is what's on your mind? Mm. You know, it's both 
open. It says to the other person, tell me what you want to talk about. But it doesn't say to them, tell me anything. It says, let's go somewhere that matters, something that you're excited about or worried about or kind of consumed about. Let's go there. Mm -hmm. And when you read the book, by the way, look at what he talks about in terms of projects, people, and patterns, Mm. because that's going to be an excellent way to know where that conversation is going to lead. And I I loved what you you stated about the beginning of every James Bond movie. It never starts (laughs) off slowly. So you're getting right into it in a a kind, tactful way. But by saying what's on your mind, you're getting right into into the meat. And all of this is framed with a sense that, you know, you've got to be genuinely curious about right, this. You, right. can, you can ask any of these questions in a way that's dismissive and right. I'm not that interested and I'm putting you through a process. That doesn't work so well. But if you're like, no, really, what is on your mind? You're going to get into an interesting conversation. Okay. And then number two is, is perhaps the best coaching question in the world ever. <laughs> it's, the, it's the awe question. Yeah, a- not not a- awe. A- a- right, exactly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tell us about that. So AW, it's, an, it's, a, it's a, a really cool acronym because it's a three-word question and three-word start, A-W-E, but it just makes it mean I can then say it's an awesome question, which it is. And AW is simply, and what else? Mm. And Bob, you know, when we say best coaching question in the world, and what else? There's often a kind of slight anticlimax to that. You know, like, really? That's it? But the reason why and what else is so powerful is twofold. The first is it gives you gives you more bang for the buck on any other question you ask because right. you need to know that their first answer is never their only answer. Exactly. It's rarely their best answer. Mm-hmm. But secondly, and this is a more subtle benefit, is that it's a great self-management tool because remember what we're trying to do is slow down people's rush to advice giving and people love to give advice. Mm-hmm. So the shift of behavior, staying curious a little longer, and and what else is just one of those almost fail-safe questions that you can always keep asking to help you stay curious longer. Okay, and then let's make sure we're talking about the the real challenge. So we've got the focus question. Yeah, so the insight here is many people in many organizations are working really hard to solve the wrong problem Mm. because they think the first challenge that shows up is the real challenge. And, you know, in the context of sales, for instance, this is a classic. You know, you're you're across the table in a sales conversation, the other person mentions something, and you're like, oh, we've got the thing for you, and you start pitching hard. And actually, almost never is the first challenge mentioned the real challenge. It's all about staying curious a little bit longer. So the question we've got here is, what's the real challenge here for you? Mm-hmm. And Bob, how I've said that, how I've written that really matters. Because you could ask, so what's the challenge here? And that's not bad, but it'll give you a bit of a kind of generic answer. Mm-hmm. As soon as you add the word real, what's the real challenge here? It becomes more powerful because now you're saying there's more than one thing going on. What matters most? But I think it really gets muscle when you ask, what's the real challenge here for you? For you. Yeah, and that's when the spotlight swings from the challenge to the person dealing with the challenge. And the learning and the engagement really ratchets up when you start adding for you onto this question and onto other questions as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, number four, the foundation question. Mm. Uh, you know, I almost call this the goldfish question because mm-hmm. when, you, when you ask it, you sometimes get people looking a bit like a goldfish. You know, right. Their eyes pop and their mouth makes that kind of little guppy sound. But the question here is, what do you want? What do you want? It's really powerful. There's a reason it's at the heart of the book because in some ways the work, Bob, you do and the work that we do at Box of Crayons is helping people develop adult-to-adult relationships in the work that they do. We want to show up as grown-ups in our own lives. 
And at the heart of that is actually an understanding of what do I want and am I willing to ask for what I want even though I know the answer may be no. And people aren't that great at knowing what they want and they're not that great at asking what they want and sometimes they're not that great at hearing what other people want. So a really powerful question, you know, you know what's on their mind, you know what the real challenge is, you know what the real challenge is. Mm -hmm. but then you can say, so if that's the real challenge, what do you want? And really, there'll be a deepening of knowledge and a deepening of wisdom just by asking that question. Now, before we move on to number five, the lazy question, and I, yeah. and I, and I know everyone listening knows this, but again, <clears throat> excuse me, this is a, a very abridged explanation. He goes into such wonderful detail in explaining this, but you know, one of uh, the things I love in the book, and we haven't even talked about this, is you have a series of question masterclasses mm. sections that you include between each chapter. And those in and of themselves, I found to be real difference makers for me because it's helping us to change our habits and helping us change the way we do things. So I want to make sure for those who get the book, and I hope everyone is going to, um, you want to pay really close attention also to the masterclass sections uh, between these between these questions. So number five is the lazy question, but powerful. Yeah. yeah, you know, again, a great self-management tool. And when I say what the question is, people will kind of raise their eyebrows a bit because it won't sound like a lazy question. But the lazy question is, how can I help? Or a more blunt version of this, Bob, is, so what do you want from me? But here's why this is a lazy question. What happens to most people when somebody starts talking, when somebody comes to them with a challenge, they go in their head, mm -hmm. oh, I know what you want, right. and I've started the intervention already. So they kind of <laughs> leap in, and they're fixing, and they're solving, and they're helping, and they're trying to do this for all sorts of good reasons. But the truth is, often they're solving the wrong problem. Often they're giving help that is not required. Often they're disempowering the very person they're trying to help. So... The, asking the question, so how can I help or what do you want from me? What it does is it slows your jumping in to fix things down. You know, it puts a little, a little kind of tension there. And then it forces them to make a clear request of what they actually want. Now, here's the key thing people need to know. If you ask, so how can I help? And somebody gives you an answer, you don't have to say yes to that. You know, you're a grown-up. You get to say yes or you get to say can't do that, or you get to say, I can't do that, but I could do this instead. You get to have that conversation. But what you're doing is you're finding out what would be most useful for them. And often what you thought they wanted is not what they wanted at all. So it can save you an immense amount of time and effort. Exactly. Uh, number six, the strategic question. Uh, and, I, and I love this. If you're saying yes to this, what are you saying no to? Yeah. Look, there's not a single person here who's going, my life is so uncluttered that I really don't have anything to do. I, you know, I, I spend Friday <laughs> afternoon playing Tetris on my phone just to, to while the hours away. Right. We, we're all in this place of I'm super busy, I'm super connected, I'm super pulled here, I'm pulled there, I have too many strategic objectives. And, you know, one way of thinking about strategy, and we've all heard this before, but it's just worth making the point, you've got to learn how to say no. And in fact, you've got to realize that your yes means nothing unless it comes with no's to give that yes boundaries and shape and commitment. Mm -hmm. We can't add any more onto our working days. We're already flat out. So part of the, the focus of this question is, 
you know, what do you need to say no to to make this yes real? If that's a yes, what are your no's? You know, you can play around with how you ask it. But the fundamental piece is you're, you're making sure you understand the opportunity cost and you're understanding what needs to be removed so you have space to really commit to whatever your yes might be. Yes, indeed. Uh, number seven, the learning question. And, and the key is that it's phrased exactly the way you phrased it. Uh, this was, and I, and I loved the explanation. Tell us about that. Well, thanks. So part of your job as a manager and a leader is to make your people better. Mm-hmm. You know, that's good for them. It's good for you as well. You want your people to be more autonomous, more confident, more competent, more self-sufficient. But to do that, you have to be a teacher. You have to help them learn. That's the John Whitmore piece. You have to help people learn. But to help people learn, you have to understand how people learn. And honestly, they don't learn when you tell them stuff. I mean, you know this in your bones. It's sad, but it's true. If you just tell somebody your brilliant piece of advice, mostly it's going to go in one ear and pretty quickly out the other ear. And they don't even learn when you do stuff. I mean, people learn a bit from that, but not really. Where they learn is when they have a moment to reflect on what just happened. And that's where the learning question can come in. And it can be used at the end of a one-to-one conversation, end of a team meeting, end of a phone call, end of an email with a vendor, a customer, a client, direct report, boss, peer. You know, you can use any of these questions with anyone. This is, this is a toolkit for human interaction. But the learning question is, what was most useful or most valuable for you here? What was most useful or most valuable? And Bob, the threefold effect of this is, first of all, you make them find the value. Mm -hmm. And even though you think the value is obvious, they may have missed it otherwise. So you help them find the value. Secondly, you get feedback. So you get guidance on what is useful that you're doing and what is valuable that you've been providing. And thirdly, and kind of more cunningly, you've been framing every interaction with you as a useful, valuable interaction. So you become more valued and more recognized as a colleague, as a boss, as a vendor, whatever it might be. Michael Bungay Stanier is author of the smash bestseller, The Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead forever. Really, I simply can't stress enough that you should pick up this book and make a study of it, give it to those you love, and it's brilliant. His website is boxofcrayons.biz, where you can learn all about his coaching programs, that and direct links to his podcast and to the book on amazon.com, all of that in the show notes. Love your book, Michael. Thank you and best wishes for continued success. Bob, it's been a complete pleasure. Thanks for having me along. Main takeaway I received from Michael is that being a leader or manager who can effectively coach others takes a change in our habits, but with the help of his seven questions, makes a tremendous difference in our team members' growth as well as our own. Are you ready to put Michael's questions into practice? Please feel free to write to me at bob at berg.com and let me know your results. We might even share your email on an upcoming program. Remember, the Go-Giver makes an excellent gift to those in your life in order to help them lead better, sell more, and touch the lives of more people in positive and significant ways. Visit thegogiver.com and check out the new expanded edition of the book. And while you're there, check out John David Mann's and my newest book, The Go-Giver Leader. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and provide a review on iTunes. Visit thegogiver.com slash reviews. I enjoy reading every review. And your review will also help others to much more easily find this show. 
That's all for today. The Go-Giver podcast is brought to you by thegogiver.com. Visit www.thegogiver.com and get our free special report, The Go-Giver Way, Five Principles for Creating a Culture of Excellence. That's thegogiver.com. Stop on by. Thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, I'm Bob Berg. Make it a great day.